This is an MVP podcast, My Village Productions. Welcome to Unsolved America, a show where we explore unsolved mysteries throughout the United States. I'm your host, Tiffany. And I'm your host, Andy, and each week we will throw a dart at the map and wherever it lands is the location of our mystery. This week, I landed on Missouri. Missouri. That is appropriate for this, the theme. Oh, is it? Okay. Of this episode. Hand gestures. Hand gestures for days. So guys, (laughs) I was doing a lot of research on Missouri and I was like, what do I want to talk about? Talk about a lot of murders. We talk about a lot of disappearances. What else could we talk about? So then, so I I stumbled upon a house in Belnor, which is a suburb of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Where the actual exorcism was, uh, took place. Like the one based off the movie. Really? Yeah. That's cool. And it's real. Well, I mean, everything is based off. Yeah. Yeah. So the story behind The Exorcist um, was actually the story about this this little, this this boy's who was ex- exercised. <laughs> no, that's not the word. Who was possessed by a demon. And then St. Louis, like, is it St. Louis or St. Louis? St. Louis. St. Louis. The St. Louis priests like showed up and mm-hmm. they were like, we got to perform an exorcism. And then shit just got real crazy. As it does when there's an exorcism taking place. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the most basic like overview like, there was an exorcism. Okay, bye. <laughs> um, okay, so. The priest report arriving to the house on Roanoke Drive on March 9th, 1948. We're just jumping right in. Let's just do Jump it. Jump right into the meat of the story because this was a long one. Oh, yes. <laughs> so we're just jumping head first. When the priest arrived, they witnessed the boy's bed shaking uncontrollably. At the mention of the scriptures, the boy screamed out in pain. Scrapes and welts. Some forming letters and words rose up inexplicably on his skin. Oh, so creepy. A bottle of holy water flew through the air. For two weeks, the priests waged night-long battles with the demon inside the lone lit bedroom on Roanoke Drive. That's, I mean, could you imagine being in a room where that is happening and then, like, letters start coming to some... I'd be like, no, no, thank you. Y'all need Jesus and like leave. But but you are like, you're bringing Jesus with you. (laughs) Jesus walks with you, my guy. That is, I mean, honestly, though, like I would just be like, I don't care who I believe in or what I need to do. Like, I am not in that room. (laughs) Jesus got to (laughs) leave. This is not our territory. But it is. That's what's terrifying when you're a priest. So what's interesting and that they did know is that these scenes were not portrayed in the movie. And they're like, why? I think probably like special effects probably weren't as great. Like, obviously. (laughs) I mean, but when you read about the story, a lot of the priests, I guess they never talked about what happened. Okay. Like a lot of them didn't like to talk about it, which honestly, 
terrifying i want to forget that <laughs> right and so this all it was funny so the reason i found this out is because the house actually went up for sale recently okay and so then it kind of just resurfaced the stories of the house and like like the background and everything that happened there and it's almost like the people that were living there or the people that are involved in selling it now they want you to forget that that's what happened at that house i mean Yes, because even like if there was a murder at a house mm-hmm. or whatever, they don't have to tell you. Yeah. In one of the articles that I wrote, like uh, that, I, that I wrote. <laughs> oh, you publish now? <laughs> In one of the articles that I read, like they called the realtor and I, like just to just to like fact check, like, hey, this is the home. And I guess like he yelled at them and like, I do not want to talk about this and just hung up on them. Yeah, I mean, Which, confirmation. Right. <laughs> because I don't think they can lie to you if you ask them straight out, mm-hmm. but they don't have to disclose it. Yeah, yeah. So there was a there was a priest. His name was Father Raymond Bishop, and he actually kept a diary of the exorcism. And then the, another priest, Father William Van Rue, was an attending priest. Also remained. Um, he was another. He was one of the ones that was like, "I don't want to talk about nothing. Uh-huh. We don't talk about that." Honestly, do you think you could talk about like if you did that? Would you want to talk about it? Like if you saw letters rising from somebody's skin, and like a bed shaking on its own, and like bottles of holy water just flying across the room, would you talk about it? I mean, maybe after a while. Yeah. After like years of therapy, maybe I don't know. Just trying to process, I think, I guess maybe I would try to process it with the people in the room and be like, I saw this. Is that what you saw? Mm -hmm. But then also, if you believe, like, if a priest, you believe in all that stuff and you believe opening the door invites the demons in when you talk about it. Yeah. I, I. I can see why they wouldn't want to is because yeah. like that talking about demonic things invites to demonic things mm-hmm. in their eyes. Yeah. Well, and that's, it's, it's funny that you said that because I actually debated talking about this story. Yeah. Because, because you are very, yeah, I grew up Catholic. Yeah. So it's very weird talking about this kind of stuff. I mean, I, you and I watch the movies and stuff all the time. I mean, together yeah. We watch we, all the scary movies. Yeah. So, Obviously, I like enjoy watching it, but like talking about it in my home, like well, and also talking about something that's like that did happen, like yeah, a hundred percent happen, and it's not just a movie or right. whatever, right? So I mentioned the the diary, right, that was kept by Father Raymond Bishop. So then there was another priest that was recruited um, for the exorcism. His name was. Father Walter Holleran, and he actually was the last surviving Jesuit to take part in the exorcism, and he died at 83. Hmm. Um, so he was only 20, Halloran was only 27 years old, and he was a student at St. Louis University when the priest recruited him for the exorcism. He was a handsome athletic man who excelled in both football and track. Halloran provided much of the needed brawn holding the flailing child while the priest read the read to him the rites of exorcism during one episode the boy broke free of halloran's grasp and punched him in the face and broke his nose 
that's aggressive though like for yeah. a child how old was the child i forget i'm so sorry it does it didn't say his age um it just like all the article is just said a little boy yeah but for a little boy to punch that hard yeah. to break your nose especially if you're like a big strong man no definitely so the boy's name was roland doe and he underwent exorcism in cottage city maryland and st louis missouri in 1949 oh wow so his parents like knew that he was possessed, bro. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it is one way to say that your child's not acting right. Right. <laughs> right. But there's a difference between not acting right and having, you know, letters raised on your skin. Yeah, absolutely. So if we had just, you know, classic case of let's find out together. Unlike nearly all the other Jesuits with privileged information of the exorcism, Holleran shared what he knew of the case, but always stopped short of saying anything that might identify the child. So they kept it under wraps. Well, yeah, because they don't want people to go and try to, like, see the kid or, like, yeah. try to investigate them and not let him have a normal life. Yeah. His most detailed recollections were told more than a decade decade later to Washington, D.C.-based author Thomas B. Allen, who in 1993 published the book Possessed, The True Story of an Exorcism. Okay. The book solely relied on Halloran's account of the exorcism and most important, used an unedited copy of the exorcism diary that, that Halloran provided to him. Okay. So I'm going to skip over some of this other information and we're just going to jump we're just going to jump right into some diary yes. from yes. from this. There's a lot of other back backstory, but we don't need to uh, go into that at yeah. the moment. Yeah. So I will say um, before I do this really quick, Father Bishop does write in third person. That's weird. Yeah. So on Wednesday, March 9th, 1949, Father Bishop visited the family at their relative's home on Roanoke Drive. Bishop, a professor at St. Louis University and the author of The Exorcism Diary, blessed the entire dwelling before entering the bedroom where he found the little boy lying perfectly still on a bed that was rattling violently. The bed was rattling and it, the child was still? Mm -hmm. mm. Bishop sprinkled St. Ignatius holy water on the bed in the form of a cross. The movement ceased quite abruptly. During the course of 15 minutes of activity, a sharp pain seemed to have struck R, so he refers to the little boy as R. For Roland. Mm -hmm. We know that now. The sharp pain struck R on his stomach, and he cried out. The mother quickly pulled back the bed covers and lifted the boy's pajama top enough to show zigzag, zigzag scratches in bold red lines. Ugh. So, Friday, March 11th. Bishop returned with Father Bowdern, the pastor of St. Francis Xavier College Church. The boy was dozing when the bottle of St. Ignatius holy water was thrown from a table two feet from our's bed into a nearby corner, a distance of approximately six feet. Five minutes later, a bookcase was moved from alongside the bed and turned completely around facing the entrance of the room. Without no one touching it. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So then on Wednesday, March 16th, the priests, the priests obtained approval from St. Louis Archbishop Joseph E. Ritter to administer the rites of exorcism as spelled out in the centuries-old Catholic prayer book, The Roman Ritual. That night, the diary reports, Father Bowdern in, sur in surplice? Surplice? Surplice. Father Bowdern was dressed in his, like, vestments, so it was, like, all white. Yeah. Um, that's what a surplice is. I didn't know that. My bad. My mom, a bad Catholic. And 
Uh, so he was wearing his vestments and then his stole, and he began the prayers of exorcism. On the first precipio, there was immediate action. Three large uh, parallel bars were scratched on the boy's stomach. From then on, the names of our Lord and his blessed mother and St. Michael scratches appeared on the boy's legs, thighs, stomach, back, chest, face, and throat. The most distinct marking on the body were the pictures of the devil on R's right leg and the word hell imprinted on R's chest. Oh, that poor child. Right. The nightly interventions on Roanoke Drive, it gave the exact address, which I was like, ooh, girl, why are you saying that on our podcast? No. The nightly interventions on Roanoke Drive would continue for the next week. The child's reaction to the exorcism growing more extreme by the day. On Friday, March 18th, the entry reads, the prayers of the exorcism were continued and R was seized uh, violently so that he began to struggle with his pillow on the and the bed clothing. I'm assuming like the bed sheets. Yeah. The arms, legs, and head of R had to be held by three men. The contortions revealed physical strength beyond the natural power. R spit at the faces of those who held him and at those who prayed over him. He spit at the relics and at the priest's hands. He writhed under the sprinkling of holy water. He fought and screamed in a diabolical, high-pitched voice. Oh, my gosh. On Sunday, March 20th, Bishop reports the boy reacted with more violence than any other previous occasion. The high point of the evening were urinations, which really burned R, Mm. breaking wind through rectum three times, three different times and cursing the exorcists. Some of the vulgarity follows go to hell. You dirty sons of bitches. You dirty assholes. That. mm. Yeah. And it's like a child is not, I mean, depending on how old he was, I I guess I don't know, but it was for, for, a child to talk like that and in like such a aggressive way. Yeah. So Monday, March 21st, the family having had little sleep since the exorcism began, agreed to move the boy to Alexian brothers hospital for the night. For the next several weeks, the boy would move from the hospital to the college church rectory and back to the home on Roanoke drive, even returning to cottage city for a few days when the priests erroneously thought the boy was cured. Yeah. That's, that's what, demons do right they go away so you'll go away and then they come back right they they want you to think that they're gone they're not gone girl so the climax came after the day after easter monday april 18th when the boy awoke in a furor inside the psych ward of the alexian brothers hospital his seizures and spells continued through the morning with the priest placing medals rosaries and relics around his neck in his hand they placed a crucifix The boy mocked the priest, saying he has to say one more word, one little word. I mean, one big word. I'll never say it. I'm always in him. I may not have much power always, but I am in him. He will never say that word. I wonder what word. I don't know. Still, the priest endured, holding counsel over the boy in one final push to exercise the demon at 1045 p.m. The boy lay still. In clear, commanding tones, he shouted out, Satan, Satan, I am St. Michael, and I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave the body in the name of uh, Dominus. Immediately, now, now, now. Seven minutes later, the boy awoke to announce he's gone. Okay. During his final spell, the diary reports, the boy saw a vision of the devil and ten of his helpers engaged in a fiery battle with St. Michael the Archangel. At one point during the dream, the angel smiled at the boy and said, Dominus, which is Latin for Lord. Oh. 
the word the boy vowed he'd never say that morning. So that's <laughs> bro, that's it. Like that's like the extras. Like that is what happened. Like that is the story that that the true story that gave us that classic horror movie. Right. And that like a whole genre of movies after that. Yeah. And it was in Missouri. I had no idea. I would put this under unsolved phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, and I say unsolved because there's not, I think some people really believe in this kind of stuff. Other people don't. I think there's a lot of speculation when it comes to this subject. Matter. Uh-huh. I don't, I think it's real. So it's in in those terms, in my head, I'm like, it's not unsolved. We know who did it. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, but like, we have no information on what causes this what causes it like how holy water and scripture is like right fixing it like there's no explanation on these things or how things are just flying through the air yeah giant bookshelves are moving across the room and like flipping 180 to like face the the door of the room like that's crazy i mean we could even have like unsolved events right (laughs) it's just crazy and i don't ever want to see it in real life Never. I mean, whatever you believe in. Yeah, absolutely. I still don't want any sort of like evil or evil ghost or evil demon, whatever, in my house. Yeah. Well, that's what my mom always gets mad at me when we go see like the possession type movies. Mm -hmm. She's always like, you're inviting that into your life. That's what she always tells me. By watching that, you're inviting that into your life. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I could promise you I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I think inviting it into your life is more about like, I'm going to hold a seance and I'm going to do a Ouija board. Absolutely. Has well, anybody done a Ouija board? I've never done. I have no desire to do one. I think I did when I was like a kid. Really so it wasn't like anything. For real. Yeah. To our listeners, have you done a Ouija board? Because if you have, tell us about it. Yeah. Our email's coming up shortly. (laughs) Yeah. I would like to hear about if it's like... I mean, there's so many stories about how it is real and Mm -hmm. the spirits can communicate that way. I don't want to do it. I've heard so many stories about like people doing it and then like their house becomes haunted because they've invited ghosts in yeah. their house. No, thanks. Unsolved I mean, phenomenon. I will watch things all day long because it's on the screen. <laughs> right. It's on the screen. You can tell yourself it's fake. That's CGI. If, or even if it's real, like a real story, at least it's like on the screen. Yeah. I'm not lighting a candle. And asking for it to come forward. Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unsolved America. Head on over to Facebook and Instagram and follow us at Unsolved America MVP. And be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to contact us, please email unsolvedamericamvp at gmail.com and we'll talk to you next week. This has been an MVP podcast. My Village Productions. 